Stories, fables, ghostly tales. You seek wisdom in a god with a face of darkness, perform a ritual to eradicate your fear, and assimilate yourself into a pack of murderers. Are you all the better for it? Let's find out. Welcome, listeners, and I have for you three creepypasta ritual stories for your awesome ears. It's a Friday, and I have my old grey warming my heart and soul, and I hope you do too, with our three ritual stories being The Facekeeper, Fear Meditation, and Crows. So turn off the lights, turn up the sound, and do you dare follow me down the soulless path into night stories. Let's do this. Have you ever wanted to know a particular person better? To be able to predict his or her every move and reaction? Be familiar with all of his or her tastes and see right through his or her personality so that you can be the wiser? If so, then you may embark on a journey. There you will find your answers. Or... So the forgotten ruins of the Aztecs dictate. Needless to say, it'll be dangerous, and the burden of risk very heavy. Your intentions may be as innocent as trying to comprehend the person you love, or give a heartwarming surprise to a friend or family member. Or, it may be sinister, as to use the information you are given to manipulate and thwart someone you loathe. It might even be wanting to know a very influential person, so that you may cajole and appease that person with ease. Regardless, I will not judge your intentions, but beware, because you will be evaluated. And the basis of that analysis is not only obscure, but seemingly random. So don't think you are sure to get out unscathed just because you wanted to know your lover's dream honeymoon getaway to impress him or her. That is the price of the knowledge that will be bestowed upon you. You need some hair from the head of the person of interest. Even a single strand will do, and you're good to go. Tucked away in the dense foliage, there is a sacred yet forbidden retreat somewhere along the banks of the Amazon. It lurks in one of the nooks and crannies of the marshy vegetation, its whereabouts ever-changing. Mortals are only tolerated on a full moon night. The place can never be located otherwise. Start looking, riding a boat, preferably one that makes minimal noise, as the moon makes its first appearance. Reaching the entrance before midnight is a prerequisite. Keep your ears on patrol. You are listening out for a distant hiss. One not so dissimilar from a snake or one audible when you twist open the stopper of a carbonated beverage. It is said to be calling to you, more like a challenge, in their indecipherable tongue, as if they are saying, So, do you think you are worthy? If you are able to hear a hiss, stop the boat. Try to locate it. Once you have a rough geographical estimate, anchor your boat along the bank and start foraging. You must leave anyone you brought with you on the boat, otherwise the place will not show up. Look for a cave. 
it should be just big enough specifically for someone of your height to enter. You may use a light source to illuminate your path as you search, but the eerie yet glaring moonlight should suffice. As soon as you spot the cave, extinguish your light source and leave all technology behind, otherwise they'll be incapacitated. Bring nothing with you other than your clothing and the hair. Bare your feet as well. The moonlight should generate a lighting synonymous to the rustic images of early television, devoid of color, ominously monochromatic. Master up your courage, you'll need every ounce of it, and walk inside. It will be pitch black at first, so walk cautiously to make sure you don't get lost. Use the walls to navigate. Feel for a pattern of carved series of circles at the height of your hands. There will be diverted paths and forks. Feel for the pattern. I must stress that you do not follow any walls that do not have this pattern. Around five minutes in, you will hear footsteps behind and ahead of you. Don't panic. The noise from the footsteps will vary. Some light, some will correspond to strolling, others pacing and even running. Things will brush past you occasionally and even bump into you, only to immediately dart away. Do not heed them, move forward. After a while, you will see a light, as if one at the end of a tunnel. The walls bearing the circles should lead you right there. Shafts of moonlight will riddle the pathway, illuminating the circle pattern so you no longer have to feel. Proceed with a steady pace, no need to run nor lag, the footsteps will cease. You might curse your peripheral vision, for shadows will linger at the corners of your eyes, only to fall back as you turn around. But you need not worry, keep walking. Occasionally, you will come across diverted pathways, and something will be standing there, a grey, indiscernible figure, mottled with inky stains of black. Unlike the others, it will not retreat from your plane of sight, on the contrary, it will gesture you to it. Run! You must run past all of these pathways, otherwise, well, I'll get to that. The thing will scream and chase after you, but you must not stop, and you must not look back. You may stop when the footsteps die away. After what might seem like an hour or so, you will have reached your destination. An enormously spacious room. Enter the room, and you will see a stone altar illuminated by a single moonbeam descending from the ceiling. Patterns similar to the circles on the walls will have embellished its every surface. Everything else will be hiding under the cover of darkness. As you make your way up to the altar, you will be greeted with whispers and hisses from the darkness that surrounds you. There will be occasional shrieks and undulating moans. Something might screech as if right beside you or right behind you. Jump scares are always on the table. Anything to draw your attention. Whatever you do, don't look. Keep your eyes on the altar at all times. When you have reached the center, sit down with your legs crossed. The full moon will be visible through a slit on the roof. As it pulls the altar with its ghastly yet mysteriously eerie light, 
place the hair at the center and take a deep breath. Close your eyes and pronounce in a low voice as humbly as you can. Facekeeper, bestow upon me your knowledge. The noises in the darkness will halt. Open your eyes and look at the hair. The hair will be set ablaze, but not by conventional fire. The tiny flames will emanate a soft, white, opalescent glow. Your body will note a steep temperature drop. There will be a presence around you, which you will find to be oddly reminiscent. Whose face do you desire to know by heart? The question will come from a random direction. Keep staring at the fire. The voice will be none other than your own, grim and solemn, and it will speak in the same language you used to summon it. Say the person's name. There will be a period of silence. Don't look up or make any kind of noise. Remain seated as you are. Why do you want to know the face by heart? Again, from a random location in the same voice and language. State your intention as honestly as you can. It should be obvious that you mustn't lie. But in the case you do, remember that it will not only know of it, but also take account of that lie when judging you. There will be a longer period of silence. I urge that you remain as you are. Are you worthy? The voice will suddenly reveal itself right behind you. Do not take your eyes off the flames. As adamantly as you can, say, Yes! As soon as you do, the flames will flare for a split second and extinguish themselves. You will hear a multitude of malevolent hissing all around you. A grim, spiteful aura will burden the air. You will be under the impression that an otherworldly presence is approaching you from far behind. Stay as you are, and keep staring at the ashes. At one point, all noise will reach an abrupt halt. A violent surge of wind will blow the ashes onto you, and you will black out. You will open your eyes to the cacophony of birds rising at dawn. You will be lying at the place where you spotted the cave, only that the cave will be no more. Rise, gather up your things, and get back to the boat. Now, you can naturally think exactly like your desired person, as if you can dress yourself in that person's very mental makeup. Of course, you can take it off just as easily. In the case you were not worthy, be prepared to face nothing but sheer confusion and frustration for the rest of your life. The Facekeeper will have robbed you of who you are. You will know nothing, no memories, no language, nothing. All that will be left is instinct. You mentally will be likened unto a newborn baby, awed at the world around you, as if seeing it for the first time. Now, as for my warnings, what if you looked up during talking to the facekeeper, or didn't follow the wall, or responded to the mottled figure's beckons? The outcome is the same. Immortality. Sounds great, doesn't it? Yep. Just like those shadowy figures, or the mottled summoner, trapped in that lair for all of eternity, rejected by death itself. They just want more friends, that's all. Now, if you make it out successful, there are no catches, no restrictions. You have been deemed worthy. 
you are free to proceed using your newfound prowess in any way you see fit. Feeling powerful? Want more? You can if you want to. Just take some hair off another person and return to the Amazon. Go through it again. You've done it once, right? No problem. Be warned. The Facekeeper doesn't take ambition too kindly. I suggest you stop to listen that your chances of being deemed worthy twice in a row is much slimmer. And what if you aren't? Will the Facekeeper snatch away your ability? Oh no. You can keep that. It'll take away you and only you. But hey, you've got someone else's personality, right? Sure you do. Good luck being that person when he or she legitimately exists. You know that you're you. So why is that person claiming to be you? Why is your mum calling him or her her child? Why is your lover sleeping with that person? He or she is the real deal. You are just a cloned personality, stuffed into a now unknown body. Identity theft, with an unexpected twist, don't you think? Makes you wonder whether losing the first time around was better, huh? If this doesn't bother you though, go on. Sail along in the Amazon by the moonlight, seeking that hiss. I wish you good luck, but don't forget to ask yourself, are you worthy? Allow me to start with a warning. After all, what I'm going to explain to you is not really dangerous, at least in a physical way. If you or anyone else tries this technique, be ready to face fear beyond human comprehension. If you are going to try this, make sure there is no other option left, or else you might regret it. I have trained myself in meditation for more than four years. Enough time for me to do it and actually feel the benefits. Every day and night I practice it. If I'm stressed, tired, or if I feel like doing it. To tell the truth, it was a lifesaver. But of course, in any art you can think about, there is always another side. One that is filled with the things the other side would never dare to touch. In the case of meditation, there are techniques that are too risky or even fatal for anyone who tries them. I am a huge fan of those kinds of things, and thanks to my fascination of horror movies and horror stories, I always look for the scare or dangerous sides of everything. This search brought me to one of those not-so-known websites, not from the deep web, but one that anyone can access. I cannot remember the name now, and I forgot to write it down. Stupid of me, but I was too concentrated in one of the articles that I forgot to do it. What I found was a meditation technique that would make you fearless. You would not even be afraid of death after doing it. Of course, it came with the same warning I mentioned before. The article instructed you on how to perform it and the special requirements. I copied everything and archived it in my computer. So, allow me to show you the article. The best summary for everything is that you're going to die. This is no joke. And you should not take this warning lightly. There is no actual harm to your body, but if you don't follow my instructions, you are going to get hurt. And also, you might end up with a trauma. What I am teaching you is a prohibited meditation technique that must be practiced only if you are ready for what you are going to experience. 
you do not need to be an expert in meditation. But if done with previous experience, everything is going to be easier. If not, it might just take you time to perform it. In order for the technique to work, you must believe in it. If performed as a joke or just to see what happens, it is not going to work. What you must do is induce your own mind into a trance state where you make it believe that the method is real and that it is going to work. Only in that way you can accomplish your meditation. To induce the trance, you must tell yourself everything is real. If you think you have a slight doubt, tell yourself that the more you doubt, the more real everything is going to be. Repeat those words as much as you feel necessary. Silly as it might sound when you do this, your brain processes them as orders for the body. As if you were hypnotizing yourself to believe in the meditation. This meditation must be done at night. There is no specific time, but there must be no trace of the sun. You can do it with any kind of moon, but both new moon and full moon are believed to be the best ones. The full moon gives you more power, and the new moon gives death more power. There are no differences if done with one or the other. Both of them make the process faster without changing the outcome or make it less or more dangerous. The room you are into must have no lights on and your door must be closed. You do not need to lock it, unless you feel brave. It is up to you. The room must also have a window and you must be able to face it. There cannot be anything between you and the window. Do not bother if there is something behind you or not. This cannot interfere with your meditation in any way. The light that comes from the windows must be just enough to illuminate the room but not too much so it does not bother you. The window must be exposed with no curtains or shutters and try to not face the street to avoid noise. There can be someone with you in the same house or even in the same room but they must make no noise nor disturb you while meditation is in session or this might put you in danger. To anyone who is going to accompany, you might not see or feel anything strange in the room, but you are going to hear your partner groan and even scream. And if you dare to see your partner's face, it will show the most horrible expression of agony, sadness, and despair. You might not even recognize the person in front of you as your friend, as you could even get scared of him. No matter what, do not attempt to wake him up, because if he does, he is going to feel a lot of pain for at least a month, and the whole meditation would have been for nothing. If all those requirements are met, you can begin your meditation. Sit comfortable on the floor. You can place a mat, cushion, or anything below you as long as it does not make you lose your balance. Close your eyes, and do not think of anything else but your breathing. Feel the air go all the way to your lungs, and then all the way out through your mouth or nose. Picture it in your head however you want. Do it until you feel you have reached enough peace of mind to have forgotten everything around you. As if you are floating in the middle of nowhere, where nothing but you and your body exist. After this, make a basic model of your body in your mind and picture your lungs, heart, and brain in it. Not detailed, just made of a blue light. As this is the symbol of life. With the picture in your mind, turn your lungs blue light into a black one. And this is the symbol of death. 
If you feel offended of using that color, you can also use gray or a not so bright white, as both of them are symbols of death and weakness. Do not dare to use red or any variation, as it is the symbol of pain and blood, which might actually hurt you more than necessary and even wake you up from the trance. After you have changed your lungs light, you might feel as if you are no longer breathing. Try not to be afraid, as this is not real, and do not think about it or say it is not real, or the trance will break. Just focus on your task. Proceed to turn your heart blue light, and after you are done, you will not feel it beating. Just do as before, and go for your brain. Once you have finished, your whole body is going to be numb. You will not be able to move, hear, taste, or feel anything. Now stay like that, and wait. After enough time has passed, you are going to hear footsteps, even if it should be impossible for you to do so. They are going to get nearer as time passes. You will hear them coming from behind, even if you had something behind you when you started meditating, and they are going to stop when you sense they are just a few inches from you. At that moment, you are going to feel something cold on your shoulder. You might actually think of them as really thin fingers, and you are not going to be wrong. Soon, you will no longer feel the cold sensation, and instead, you will feel something warm. If so, congratulations, you have cheated death. But of course, doing so comes with a price, as now, for punishment, you must be revived. An old psychologist once said that our first trauma is the one we cannot remember, because it happens when we are but mere babies coming out into the world, and there is a good reason why we do not remember that moment. You are going to relive part of that very same trauma, as your lungs are going to work again, they are going to expand, and you will feel a burning sensation as they inflate, and the oxygen come inside them. You will feel when they contract and then expand again, a pain you have never felt before. Your heart is going to send a sharp pain to your chest with every beat, and as the blood runs again through your veins, you will feel it as hot magma. At the same time, you are going to feel something like electricity running around your body, because your brain was reactivated, and it receives and sends information about the multiple things you are feeling around your body, and while all of this is happening, you are going to see things no other human has witnessed. Grotesque creatures, inhuman assassinations, pictures that will fill you with fear and despair even if they are not horrible or visceral and indescribable things that do not fit in any known category. At one moment, you are going to wake up in the room you started. From now on, do whatever you feel like. Cuddle on the floor, grab your head, and even smash it against the floor or the walls, turn on the lights or leave them off, embrace your partner, or even run away from your room and embrace your parents. If you feel strong, do nothing of what I said, and just stand up or remain seated as long as you wish. Whatever you decided to do, you will soon realize you are no longer afraid of anything in this world. Not even of death. But of course, not many people live to tell the story. Those who had completed the meditation had committed suicide. 
others had gone missing, and then their corpses were found days, weeks, months, and even years later. Most of the time, the cause of death is suicide or an accident, and the stronger ones live without fear of anything. Some even believe they could be immortals, because death cannot take those that are not afraid of it. Written by Matthias Deli. You wake up, open the window, and take a look outside while taking in a big gulp of the fresh morning air. <sighs> you see a bunch of crows over there, on your neighbor's roof. But have you ever thought about their significance? I mean, birds are important in culture, religion, politics, symbolism, science, cuisine. I mean, who doesn't love chicken? Geography, and even the military. Now, what I'm asking here is nothing uncommon. You may have heard of the birds by Alfred Hitchcock, which is based on unsettling events. But why crows? Crows have exceptionally incredible memories. We thought dolphins and monkeys were the number one most intelligent animals. We were damn wrong. Where did I find out about this? Why, on Channel 9. On that nature program. I can't remember the exact episode, but there is one particular episode you should see. It is called A Murder of Crows. You can also find out about them from the news. So how is this all related? Crows are magnificent creatures, like elephants, and should be treated as such. Or would you prefer facing retaliation? I remember a time when I used to play with birds, laugh with them. I yearned to fly just so I could be with them. But there are several misdeeds that I did against them that I regret to this day. For example, there was a white goose that seemed to have been adopted by a flock of Canada geese. This was when I was young, by the way. I shot at it with a water gun. It fled, and it has never returned since this day. I found this peculiar, as it would always visit the apartment complex where I live. So I decided to study birds, to find out why this occurred. The more closer I got to them, the more peculiar they became. At first it was just harmless internet research. I remember bookmarking all the articles about birds. I had sticky notes on my walls color photos and pictures of birds decorating my closet. But then I decided to get up close and personal. I remember when I went to this national park and all the birds were friendly and showed no fear. One was a blue jay. It allowed me to get close to it. Heck, it even flew into my car. I encountered another one near the parking area. Didn't show any sign of fear. But it was when I drove into the forest that the encounters grew extraordinarily unusual. I found a good spot from which I could get a lot of good footage. I went there, sat at the stone bench, and there it was. The very same bird had come to me, but at this time, I heard this voice. It was mocking me. It was malicious. It was coming from high up in the treetops. I had experienced this very same phenomenon only it was multiple voices intertwined in a deadly chorus from a murder of crows resting on a tree near a garage roof. What did I do? I retaliated. 
The following days, I found them everywhere I went, hearing that dreaded noise and a garble of whispers and chirps whenever I went out in the open outdoors. I have since locked myself up in my room, shut the windows, even the door, never having tasted fresh air for what may be decades. I'm sorry, I don't even keep track of time. I can't remember the bloody settings for my computer. You may have noticed something amiss when I refer to the birds. It's actually based on a story that was inspired by observation and imagination. If you didn't see the lie I presented then, how did you feel? Was it unsettling? By all means, don't hold back. You must tell me. This is not madness you see before you. This is not an obsession gone wild. You must tell them how you feel, your darkest innermost desires. You cannot hide it from them, they know. They know what you do day and night. They follow you, believe it or not. But whatever you do, you must not retaliate. You must not show any sign of hostility or hatred in their presence. They are preparing, even arranging the so-called accidents and unexplainable deaths and disappearance that befall man. They know their purpose. They are not thieves. They are not inept. They are a society bent on man's suffering and sorrow. I should not be saying this, but I am safe, right? They can't get in here. This is a fortified structure. How can they break through? I admit, they broke my mind that night. When they rode up upon clouds of indiscernible color and looked at me with those pitch black eyes, I was mesmerized. I may have snapped. They snatched from me. They escaped. And what not. Everything was gone in a flash. Only this room. Yes, this room is my only safe haven. It is dark at night and soft as my mattress and my fluffy white blankets. I have no need for these blankets to keep me warm. The blinds may be a little dark blue. They were once luminescent bright blue. But that's what happens when you use the contrast of human blood pigments as your inspiration. After all, I did it for them. I killed many to secure my security. I retaliated. They embraced me in return in their red feathers. They came to me, and I welcomed them. I joined them. One thing is certain, you must never retaliate, even if it means allowing them to swallow you up in their abysmal doom. Your rebirth is guaranteed if you surrender. You were once a killer who brought down societies with deceit and delivered a quick strike to mansions and injected poisons into the minds of your people and whatnot. Basically, an evil-minded fool. Now, you are a greater killer. A predator who has mastery over the skies and whatnot. You have only one goal. To eradicate the presence of inferiors and low lives. And you have all of them at your side, supporting you wherever you go. They who tore your flesh to pieces 
with their many brethren, and their trimmed beaks, and feasted on your bones. They are now your allies. No, nothing like creepypasta rituals, right? A big thank you to Matthias Delee for sharing their story on fear meditation. And I'd love to thank the other two writers, but they didn't leave their names. But great writing on their part. If you were to pick one of the first two rituals, which one would you do? Would you pick the facekeeper or fear meditation? I would do the second one. Living an aimless life or a life of confusion, well, I'd rather not be alive for that. <laughs> what would you choose though? Let me know, leave a comment, email me or Facebook message me. I'd love to hear what you think. And importantly, why? And it's almost the weekend, so have a fantastic Friday. And may it be full of awesomeness, my creepylicious ghouls and ghasts. And I'll see you Monday for more creepylicious stories. As always, till next time.